Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Build Your Network, episode 148. Hey, this is Garrett Gunderson, author of What Would the Rockefellers Do? And if you want to learn how to be responsible with your relationships, you should be listening to Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. You have the ambition, the knowledge, and the experience, but still lack those relationships necessary for achieving true success. Welcome to Build Your Network, your guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and assisting others in reaching their goals. This is networking the way it should be, brought to you by your host, Travis Chappell. What is up and welcome to the one and only show that brings you tips and tricks on networking from the best experts around three days a week. Although they may not all be in the same field, every guest that comes on the show has one very important thing in common. They believe, as I do, that building relationships is crucial to achieving success in life. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but First, if you have not done this already, please go ahead and schedule a quick chat with me. I would love to talk with you sometime just for 10 or 15 minutes over the phone. Um, head on over to buildyournetwork.co forward slash FB. And in the pinned welcome post in the top of my Facebook group, you'll see a link that goes directly to my calendar. And there you can schedule a quick chat. Love to talk with you sometime. So I'll catch you there or I'll catch you in the Facebook group. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Garrett Gunderson. Garrett tackles a topic, money and finance, that is critically important, yet normally neglected by most business owners, mostly due to the painfully boring presenters in this field and advisors who give a horrible and harmful advice to entrepreneurs. As an entrepreneur, 
financial advocate, the founder of an Inc. 500 firm, and author of the New York Times best-selling book, Killing Sacred Cows, Garrett has dedicated his career to making personal finance for entrepreneurs simple, immediately actionable, and even enjoyable. A regular on ABC's Good Money, he has also been interviewed on Fox, CNBC, as well as hundreds of radio interviews and podcasts. He's a paid contributor for Forbes and has spoken at MIT. If you want to keep more of what you make and boost your bottom line without having to cut back, work harder, or take any additional risk, Garrett is your guy. Garrett, super stoked to be here with you, my man. Why don't you start off by telling us what you're most excited about right now? I'm excited just to be back working. I went to Europe for 30 days and I only did, I think, one scheduled phone call, maybe checked email every other day on my phone, didn't even open my computer and then came home and spent a week in Deer Valley. So it's yes. good to actually be back to work. And when I came back, I was stoked because for 19 months, I'd been working on this project called The Wealth Book and all the like amazing boxes and everything had come in for the wealth book to go in, which is a multimedia kind of digital book that has everything from a written portion to a nine inch screen with a bunch of video and a thumb drive. And I mean, that was a behemoth project that turned out like really sexy and elegant, man. It turned out like I'm proud of it. Yeah, that's super cool. That's a good thing to come back to, huh? Yeah, definitely. Where'd you go in Europe? I did France, Croatia, and Italy. And just, you know, I guess... I gave a little luck to France and Croatia since they ended up in the World Cup final right after I left. But yeah, that's oh, yeah, nice work. Yeah. <laughs> had nothing to do with me, but it was it was <laughs> fun being over there. And you know, we went where my great grandfather came over from in Italy, which was not easy to get to. It was a long, arduous drive, but it was really cool. Got some really great footage of that, and then you know, just had it for the most part. It was just spending some time with my family, some friends. Then the last part of the trip in Paris with my wife. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. I hear Croatia is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I think it is. But I mean, it's hard to compete with Italy for me. Like oh, yeah. we went to the southern part, which is on the Adriatic Sea. So it's got similar mm. water to like, that's what, you know, a lot of people love Croatia for kind of like the gorgeous water and everything. And downtown Split had the most charming little, like it was like some Roman emperor forever ago, built like a summer you can't really call it a home. It's like an entire square that still is so well-preserved, but now they have little restaurants and shops. That was definitely really, really cool. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. That's one of the coolest things to me about being entrepreneurial and having freedom is being able to just go see places. It's incredible to me when I talk with people that are... 60s or 70s or even in their 50s or whatever. And it's like, they've never left the US. And it was just like, wow, there's so much stuff that we're missing out on. I know this is kind of off topic, but since we're talking about it, may as well talk about it a little bit more. How do you think traveling has helped you to kind of like gain new perspective on the world? Well, first and foremost, I taught English for three months in Korea when I was 18. And my biggest lesson was like, hey, we're all people. Like I grew up in the US and it was like, yeah, we're the best. The only free <laughs> yeah. country like like somehow it's embarrassing to admit, but like the superiority kind of thought process. And I go there, I'm like, dude, these Koreans were so nice and peaceful and like, you know, fun. And like, I was like, this is really cool. And then I think last year I spent two months in Italy. We rented a villa. And what I learned is what I'm willing to tolerate and not tolerate. And hmm. I allowed my business to mature and grow up because I wasn't there to like nurture it and cater it, which at times actually limits that business's opportunities and growth to have reach and impact because the employees and people within it never get to experience the best of who they are. And now they had to deal with things without my involvement, which was a really profound thing. And then, but I guess the final lesson is just having my kids be less fearful. 
because they go, they experience like different cultures and we spend a bunch of time together. And for me, that's living my legacy, like not waiting until I die, but like I'm playing cards with the kids. We're going on these little like rickshaw tours where we're driving around, we're telling jokes, we're doing table topics at dinner. You know, we're having long three hour dinners and they're maturing a lot because of that. And my youngest, who's 10, loved it. Like he, hmm. he can't wait to go back. The 13 year old, you know, it's like, he's a teenager. Yeah. There were times where he'd be like, this is really cool. And we're like, what a huge victory. He loved this cave that we stayed in one night in Matera where they turned the cave into a hotel. I mean, we just, wow. so it's cool that they get to experience this, meet other people, like travel, you know, fly somewhere. And then we even brought my niece and nephew well, my sister and her husband brought them out and they got to experience a foreign country for the first time. And it's just something about not having anything that you have to do that allows you to bond with your relationships and then to see other people and how they live to expand your mind a little bit. Yeah, I agree with so much of that. It's funny just because that sense of superiority that you were talking about is a prevalent in almost in almost anybody that is stays glued to one context their entire life. And until you expose yourself to other perspectives and other people, and then just get to know people who are just completely different from you, then you tend to keep that narrow-minded view and you let cognitive dissonance rule your life and make you think that you are the most fortunate person to have ever lived because you were born in America and everybody else is bad and all this kind of stuff. And so it's really cool that you're able to travel, do that kind of stuff. And then especially with your kids and have them to be able to experience a lot of that stuff at a young age is really, really cool. So anyway... Yeah, and coming back to America, there's a, a deeper appreciation for some of the conveniences we have. Oh, yes. And so, the opportunities that we we have, you know, so like, so there's this kind of, you see both sides and go, Oh, I really appreciate this. And then you go somewhere else like, Oh, like the, how fresh the food is in Italy. Like, you know, we've lost some of that here in America, although you can get amazing food. It's a lot of processed stuff. So right. yeah, it's just, it's really, I think really powerful, really useful, but more than anything, it's, it's really fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was my initial thought too. After I would travel in Central America for a little while for uh, about a month last year and hit up six or seven countries down there and really, really enjoyed my time. It was super cool culture. Really, really liked it down there. But then when I got back home, it was when we stepped off the plane and we're you know, going down the escalator into LAX, I was just like, man, it's cool to be back home. Like I'm, I'm happy to be back in the USA. But anyway, so... This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you that work by itself is 
The fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. A little bit of a sidetrack there, but uh, I think that kind of stuff is important to touch on. Let's kind of talk a little bit more about what you've been able to accomplish. I mean, just reading off people's bios is such a really cool context to start off a lot of these conversations with because it it shows you like the highlights, right? Like the blimp view and all the good things. But I'm sure because of all the good things, there were also a lot of bad things. Can you talk us through a couple of those things? Yeah. And what's interesting is coming home from Europe, I just kind of, I got off kilter. Usually I do just fine, but as far as my sleep. So I've had a lot of like up in the middle of the night thinking, which the crazy thing about some of that thinking is sometimes it's just a little bit, you know, insane and takes you to weird places. And so for me, I kind of went back through my life over the last, you know, couple of nights when I wasn't sleeping well and going, where did I make bad decisions? Like where could I have made better choices? And I wonder what, what would have been like if I made better choices? And at the same time, I was thinking about, well, I probably wouldn't have matured. I would have made a mistake in a bigger way. Like it wasn't that I was completely wishing that those things didn't happen. But yeah, a bio's this fascinating thing where people give you a little snippet of the best of who they are and the accomplishments that they have. And ironically, I hit the New York Times bestsellers list and the Inc. 500. I got the news I would be on the Inc. 500 in the same week. But wow. that's also a week where I had a $500,000 investment in a piece of real estate that I should have cashed out $720,000, making a $220,000 profit, where I only walked away with $300,000, therefore $200,000 loss. So I barely even celebrated these two major accomplishments and milestones because I was so mm-hmm. frustrated with my real estate loss. You know, so Around what time was this? What year was this? Well, I made the real estate investment actually two months after my business partners died in a plane crash in 2006. So even though I'm in the financial world, that was a four-month period where I was foggy. I made a lot of mistakes. And most of my mistakes were not communicating with my financial team, therefore not deeding things properly and titling them properly and going through the things that that was a land deal with the business partner that all went into his name and he declared bankruptcy. So that's what the problem was, even though we had a gain in value. So it's crazy that we have these situations in life that conjure up a lot of emotion. And the higher our emotion, the lower our financial IQ. Hmm. Secondarily, if we're overtaxed and overly busy, it's easier to make mistakes due to fatigue, due to not being able to make the time to have critical decisions or the clear thinking around it. And so that's what kind of had happened to me. It was in 2007, like late 2007, when I got this news and I remember my wife said, I, I heard you made the New York times. You didn't even say anything about it. I'm like, ah, I'm done with this real estate. And she's like, don't you think we should celebrate? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs make the mistake that they don't celebrate enough. And I've definitely been guilty of that at times in my life and career, especially in my twenties, because early on in my, in my, I started a first business at 15. I just happened to get 
a lot of awards and a lot of notoriety, but it wasn't like I had a robust business or made a lot of money. I just had a good way of articulating it, some good connections and some favorable things that happened. And unfortunately, I thought that I was Midas, that everything I touched was going to turn to gold and I could make no mistakes and do no wrong. And it brought a level of ignorance and arrogance combined that one, didn't make me as likable of a person at times. And two, I mean, when I say less likable, I mean, probably mostly to my spouse because I was so addicted to working and I would have never been talking about a trip like I just took, like we started this conversation with, but also in business, just put on blinders. And because I did well on a few real estate deals, which I don't love real estate, it's not part of my investor DNA and where I really want to allocate my time, attention and dollars. Well, it created this false sense of of genius in my mind. And I got into so much real estate and actually got a bit greedy and had to learn the lesson by being knocked down a little bit. And a lot of people, they don't make the same mistakes twice. They make them like 15 or 16 times. So (laughs) luckily that was painful enough that I've every now and again got tempted to get back into real estate. Or I was just talking to somebody like, Hey, did you you ever buy a place in Italy? I'm like, nah, real estate's not my thing, you know? And so it's good that it was painful enough that I, I remember it, but that's been instrumental of those mistakes along the way in order to have the successes. It was learning the lessons. I mean, hell, killing sacred cows was like a confessional of all the financial mistakes I'd made in the first 10 years of my investing life. And when people would say, you're really young, how'd you figure this out? I'm like, instead of defending the decisions and trying to perpetuate that I did nothing wrong, I just owned it and asked the question, what are the biggest lessons I learned and what other, what could other people learn from these mistakes as well? Mm. Yeah. I love so much about that. It's something that I, that I touch on a lot with people because I think that it cripples too many people is the fact that they see a lot of successes, right? They see all the victories of people that they aspire to be like, and they don't see a lot of the failures. And so what happens is they start to fear failing because they feel like successful people don't fail. So what would you say to somebody that has that mindset that is looking you know, to do something, to take a risk, to make an investment or do something that makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable, but they're just kind of fearful about it? Well, I think a lot of that fear comes from what we think other people are going to think about us if we make that mistake or mishap. And what I found is the more successful people that I spend time with, we spend a lot of time comparing scars, not necessarily bragging about our victories. Because you learn a lot from those mistakes and a lot from those scars. And I only feel like a mistake is a problem if you don't, A, learn the lesson from it, or B, you learn the wrong lesson and it prevents you from moving forward. And so I think it's inevitable for anyone that's doing something extraordinary or has any degree of vision or wants to accomplish something, you're going to make mistakes. I mean... Even athletes, an injury in many times is a mistake. They didn't do something. They didn't take care of themselves properly or they tweaked something because they were a little bit off balance. Like it's just inevitable. It's part of the tuition for the game. It's an expensive tuition sometimes. But if we're worried about what other people think about us and that prevents us from that, then we're going to be seen eventually as someone that never lived up to our potential, whether that's by ourselves or by the people that truly care about us. And so I've given up a lot of worrying about what people think about me to the point where it's helped me become a lot more authentic. I just wear the clothes I want to wear when I'm speaking on stage. It's not what other speakers wear. I was told that you're supposed to shave and never have a beard because people don't trust you. I like having a beard. My wife likes that I have a beard. I have long hair. I'm a financial guy with long hair, you know? (laughs) know, So it's just, 
like we start allowing other people to define the terms of our life of what something should look like or not right. look like. Right. And if we're trying to appease those people, fear is going to creep in because it's not going to be at the core congruent with who we are. And therefore, as we're trying to appease and please them, what you got to learn is it's impossible to please everyone. I mean, look, Travis, there's times where I don't love getting feedback. Like sometimes, like we ask for feedback after every workshop we do. And I mean, we're doing 12 of them this year, just over the one workshop. So we'll have hundreds of feedback forms. And sometimes I don't like hearing what the feedback is, but at the same time, some of the feedback is what allows me to improve, strive to do better. So it's just part of life. I mean, I could share plenty of mistakes, but none of those, very few of the victories, especially the ones that mattered or the bigger ones came without those mistakes. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head there when you're talking about, it comes from a fundamental caring of what other people think about you. And especially when you're like trying to go a different route, when you're trying to go the entrepreneurial route or a route that may not be as popular or as supported by society, culture, family, friends. I think that you, especially when you're first starting out, you get this feeling of anxiety. Like, man, most people that I'm talking to don't agree with what I'm doing. So I better do well at it or they're all going to mock me and scoff at me and laugh at me because, oh, there goes, you know, there goes Travis doing his entrepreneur thing. Like he didn't get a job and now he's, you know, homeless. Like, so it's, you let a lot of other people control the destiny of your life because you're too scared of going out and making it happen and chasing your dreams, no matter what obstacles might, you know, stand in your way for those things. So here's the deal, Travis. I mean, like, Part of it might be that the people we love the most fear entrepreneurship. Like my great grandfather left Italy because he couldn't make ends meet, came to America and his wife was pregnant at the time. So it was seven years before they reunited and there wasn't email and text and, you know, video and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they wrote letters and hope they got to each other. And, And so there's a lot of pain that comes with that. And that actually gets translated or transferred to other generations because they don't want to see financial mistakes or going for something cost time with family. So my grandfather was entrepreneurial, but still was a coal miner his whole life. So even though he had a TV repair shop, he did that on the side because he didn't ever want to jeopardize or risk, you know, the family having to be separated. So he did this sacrifice thing. Well, then that kind of translates down in other generations where they sacrifice, right? And so when I'm all of a sudden wanting to be an entrepreneur and my mom and dad are used to the sacrifice and you get another a job for someone and you know, kind of this old school American dream, go to school, get good grades, work for a company, get a pension, which has been dismantled. They're not ready for that new vision yet. And so it's hard for them to support it. And it was hard for my family to support me. It brought fear to them. And because I loved them so much, I mentioned I went to Korea. I felt so lonely and isolated for that three months I was in Korea for my family that I didn't, I thought that was three months, not seven years. I would never want to have that happen. So that starts to create kind of some of that fear, some of that doubt, some of that worry and scarcity that can drive us. And for me, they were the people I wanted to let down the least. And they wanted to make sure I had a secure, better life. But you know what? I changed our family's financial future, our destiny and how we view the world by choosing to be an entrepreneur. And the biggest part of fear for me was letting them down. But I had this gift given to me during a really cash flow crunch after my partners died and all this kind of stuff is I was, you know, my mom, I'd had her come and work on a lot of my books for all my finances because I needed someone I could trust as I was growing so fast. And she was a a payroll clerk. So I knew that she Mm -hmm. could help me out. 
And so we had a time where it was like, okay, payroll's tough. I'm not taking an income, all this kind of stuff. And I pulled her aside. I said, look, I know that this is probably a big you know, nightmare for you. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. I never wanted to create this pain or uncertainty for your financial future with the mistakes that I've made. And I just don't want to worry you. And she goes, you know what? She goes, I'm Italian. If I wasn't worried about this, I'd be worried about something else. <laughs> and irony of the whole thing is she chipped in cash and my grandfather and grandmother chipped in cash to help me get through it. And I didn't know they were doing it. She was running my books. So she just paid bills with some of their cash. And then I eventually paid them back and they weren't even asking for that. But like, think about that turnaround. Like, I think that they're like, look, that same thing that drove them into fear also drove them into action to a certain degree to say, we want him to succeed. We don't want him to, to fail. And we let's include that, even if it wasn't the path that they would have taken. But I feel like after that, as we turned things around, things went really well. And the more success I had, I couldn't tell you a time where my grandfather didn't get teary eyed and grab my arm and tell me how much he loved me every time I saw him. So like we have these choices in life and the ones that are worth it aren't always a smooth, easy path. You're going to have some fear. And if you don't have fear, you don't have vision. In my opinion, there might be some anomalies out there where people just don't have the gene. But like when I say I want a million entrepreneurs to become economically independent, when I said it for the first time, there's a little fear in the voice because I didn't know how to do it. But by speaking it and committing to it, I feel like it's a vision. If you don't know how to accomplish it today, that's a vision. If you know how to accomplish it today, that's a goal. And some people aim far too low with, by keeping them goals versus saying, what's a vision that's inspiring that I can get other people to enroll in and help me with because they're now involved and that's what it would require. Hmm. To shift a little bit here in the conversation, Gary, because I feel like it would be dumb of me not to ask you a little bit about some financial advice since that's what you do while we're chatting here. And then once we talk about this, then we'll kind of talk a little bit about networking here at the end. So if you're listening, hang tight. We'll definitely get to the networking conversation. But I want to touch on finances for a second because it's something that's so like exactly like your intro says, man, like it's something that's so needed. And it's just not something that's talked about because nobody wants to talk about finances. Nobody wants to get real with their finances. Everybody wants to talk about how awesome their top line is and not how horrible their bottom line is. And they don't want to talk about the mistakes they made in an investment where they lost money. They only want to talk about the one time that they made some money. So can you give us really honestly just like a bird's eye view of like what smart financial planning might look like for the average person? The first thing is automate your savings and be deliberate with your investing. Most people automate their investing and neglect their savings. So liquidity, 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 have cash. It's staying power. It's opportunity when it arises that you can capitalize on it. We've underemphasized that for far too long. The other thing is only invest in alignment with your investor DNA. So what are your values? What are the things that drive you? What are the things you have the most competency in? And then focus instead of diversify. So only invest in what you know And then otherwise sit in cash and wait for the opportunities to arise. Far too many people invest early, often, and always not knowing whether it's going to work out. And it's far underperforming to their dismay and and disappointment. And then finally, before you invest a single dollar, focus on two things. One, efficiency. If you're overpaying tax, get that money back. That's a guaranteed return. Overpaying on interest, learn how to restructure loans, renegotiate interest rates, learn about something called the cash flow index. Put that money back in your life and pay less to the financial institutions. Third, find non-performing fees and hidden fees and commissions inside of your investments and put that money back in your life and then look for duplicate coverages or costs with insurance so that you're not wasting money inefficiently. Those are all boosting the bottom line right now today to transfer more wealth in your life. 
And then the second thing is before you speculate with a single dollar, build and create economic independence, a place where you have enough recurring revenue from investment income or entrepreneurial based income, which is the income that comes from scale and leverage, not just from your activities. And when that can cover your basic life expenses, that means you're no longer indent, like an indentured servant to earning another paycheck to make you know, ends meet. It means every active dollar you earn can help you build more assets and accelerate your wealth, a place called the fast track. So that's a good couple of days of content condensed yeah. right there in just a couple of minutes. Yeah. Love that. Love that. I wish I had a lot more time to kind of dive into that. But like you said, that's a couple of days of content to get into, but I think that's a good place to start for somebody listening. Just go to Google and search some of the things that he's talking about if you're not exactly sure and start implementing this stuff like now. It's so, so, so important. Gary, let's go ahead and move topic of conversation one more time. Talk a little bit about networking before we sign off here. I know you and I were talking a little bit about this before we hit the record button and it's something that we both agree is super, super important. So I'm going to start off with this question just because it's the question I ask every single person that comes on the show. Do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? So dude, I got a formula. It's called Perfect. the value equation. All right. The value equation says if you want more financial capital in your life, financial capital is a record keeper or a byproduct of two more precious forms of capital. And these two precious forms of capital drive all of your financial capital. Number one, it's your mental capital, ideas, knowledge, wisdom, systems, tools, information, and relationship capital. People, networks, mentors, customers, subscribers, family, friends. Like, so it's our mental capital multiplied by our relationship capital that determines our financial capital. And the bridge between mental and relationship capital is business. And so the way that we get value is we deliver it to others, we serve them, and we solve their problems with our mental capital. And where I feel most people have got the most potential for wealth or the most stagnant, latent, equity is their relationship capital because they don't know how to fully capitalize on it and they don't always figure out how to build it properly. And the people that become broke pretty fast are the ones that always look to take more than they give. And I feel like relationship capital is something you'd always deposit into first. And by making those deposits, you have that equity, but you also have to be good at learning how to tap into that and utilizing it. So which one's more important? I don't know. If you don't know anything, you don't get to hang out with anyone unless you're blood relative. You know, but if you know everything and you don't have anyone in your life, either way, that's a recipe for being broke. So it's this combination of taking your mental capital and applying it to people. And when you apply that to people, I think you build the only asset in the world, which is relationships. All assets that have value are because of people. Take people out of the equation. I don't care how nice the limestone, I don't care how nice the tile, I don't care how nice the granite. I don't care how nice the, you know, you name it, anything to do with the home. It's the use by a person. So Mm -hmm. to me, I feel like if you don't have great relationships, you don't have a great business. And a lot of what we first talked about on this, great relationships help resolve all of the problems. The right relationships help you overcome fear. The wrong ones have you succumb to it. Mm. The right relationships are your biggest cheerleaders. The wrong ones are the ones that want to see you fail because it makes them feel better about themselves. And so... So it's like, yeah, who we choose to spend our time with, you know, it really impacts mindset. It really impacts idea formation, confidence, the ability to deliver value. So it's to me, you've got to have both. And 
you've seen a lot of people that have amazing relationships and mediocre ideas succeed. Right. But you yes. never see someone with amazing ideas and mediocre relationships succeed. That is, That's critical. Yeah. I mean, if I could blow up that one segment where you were just talking for the last couple of minutes, like I feel like I need to just like blast that all over social media because so much value, so much content given just there. And if you're listening to this right now and you're hearing me say this and you were kind of like letting your mind wander during what Garrett was just talking about, definitely hit that rewind button and go listen to everything that he just said after I asked the what you know or who you know question because you're definitely going to want to hear that one more time. There's so much great stuff that you just said. But the last sentence there is a exactly why I always say that the who is a little bit more important because I personally It tips the scales for sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It tips the scales. Like there's somebody out there that is not as good as you are that is having more impact, making more money, having more opportunity just because they know the right people. And if you spend a lot of your time getting to know the right people, then you can not only become one of those people, but you can also like increase that knowledge base, increase your skill set, your skill level, because you're hanging out with those people that automatically raise you up to be just as good as they are. So let me ask you this, Garrett, and then we'll wrap up here. Give us one way to make sure that we do this the right way because there's so many ways to do it wrong. And I think the old school business networking ways are kind of falling off the current landscape. So obviously, you have built a fantastic network in your career. Tell us one or two ways that we can build a network properly. So this will, I'm going to tie what we talked in and make this hopefully a bit unique. So anytime you're personally feeling scarcity, which is the culprit of fear, doubt, and worry, it's a place where people feel entitled. They look to take more from the world than they give. Like scarcity, it's a plague. And it happens when people get too, you know, in a tough circumstance sometimes or in a rough environment or whatever. It's just that they tend to view the world from that perspective and it limits them. Now, I have this technique that if I find myself in scarcity, Rather than enrolling everyone in why that's accurate, why that's a reality, which a lot of people do, they call, they want hugs, like, oh, this person did this mean thing and how bad are they and blah, blah. And they just start, it starts to be the story of their life. Mm -hmm. When I feel those bouts come on, then I just call key relationships in my life, like people that I truly have amazing energy. I call it the phone test. If If they call, I always want to pick up. They always add energy to my life. So I call those people and rather than telling them about what's going on, I just call them and make the call about them, asking them, what are they most excited about? What's working in their life? What's not working they'd like to have happen better? Like I basically find a place where I can create value. And that's either through me personally delivering the value or me making a connection to expand their network to solve it, which then I'm part of that catalyst. And what happens is they acknowledge and appreciate that. And what that does is it elevates me where appreciation means to grow in value. Well, I feel more valuable. It's hard to be sorry for yourself in total scarcity when you're helping someone else and you're supporting them and they're acknowledging you for it. So that's one recommendation I have. I like to have a list of like 10 to 20 relationships that I add value to that add value to me. 10 to 20 relationships that I know I could add value to if I got to know them. And so they're people that I want to meet, reach out to and figure ways to connect. And then every now and again, it's good to have a list of people that I move through and make a, a different category for them. So those people that you know become scarcity-driven, don't want to see me succeed, whatever it might be, difficult to work with, always dramatic, whatever it is, I make a list of those and I move them into a different category. People that I'm friends with, I invite to things. 
And I always say yes, when I possibly can to their invitations, Mm -hmm. people that I'm friendly with or people that I say no to all their invitations, I never invite them to anything. And I never talk to them about anything of consequence or significance. I keep it really surface level. Right. And then people I'm buddies with are people that I love hanging out with, but I don't ever do business with because Mm -hmm. we do business differently. And by categorizing that, that helps me to spend the majority of my time building the right people in my network, not wasting my time trying to change people who don't want to be changed, who are the wrong people for my network. That's so, so much good stuff today, Garrett, but we are running out of time. Let's go to move on to the last segment. Something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Yep. This is the random round. What profession other than your own, do you think it would be fun to attempt? I think be a comedian. That'd be fun. I've been doing some stand-up comedy or uh, a musician. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present, talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? I'd like to sit down with Jesus. I want to see if he had a good sense of humor because I, I bet he did. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would like to see how he views how the world sees him. How do you like to consume content, books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? One-on-one conversations with the actual people that created the content. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Morning routine, when I'm on my game, I start the morning with a you know, new calm and meditation, hmm. maybe 20 to 30 minutes. Then from there, I might do a little uh, mobility work to prepare for a workout, then do a workout. After that, write a thank you note to someone that's you know, important in my life. And then after that, make a little cappuccino, have a breakfast. And then get ready for the day. And on the way to school, ask my son three things he's grateful for, three things that'll make a great day, and something awesome about him. And sometimes I even do my uh, five-minute gratitude journal. But that's when I'm on. Other mornings, yeah. I do a third of that. Like candidly, I'm not spot on on that all the time. Yeah, and well, I think I think that's important to note. A lot of people would lead people to believe that they're spot on all the time, when in reality they're not. I think most people would agree with that, though. Is like some mornings you kill it, some mornings it's not. But that's what self improvement's all about, right? Yep. What is your go to pump up song? Hey, uh, by Outcast. I think that's a solid pump up song. What are you not very good at? I'm anything that's like overly technical or anything to do with, uh, you know, fixing things like with tools. And as we get everything wrapped up here, Garrett, what is one place online where we will be able to find you the most? Wealthfactory.com is probably the best place to find me. And then you also have a free book for everybody. Is that right? Yeah, man. I got to build my uh, relationships, man. Add some relationship capital. (laughs) So I wrote a book called What Would the Rockefellers Do? And uh, with with Michael Isom. And if you text 801-503-9667, that's 801-503-9667 and put in the subject line, WWRD, on me, you'll get a download of the book. If you want to get a physical copy, we just finished the second edition and you can cover the shipping and handling. We'll cover the cost of the book and what it took to put the content in there. So would love to get that in your hands where you can start to cut out the middleman that's earning interest on you, capture more of your wealth and, and your money in an automatic way, and then boost your you know future income 20 to 50% with the same assets by having everything work together. But most importantly, why is it that the Rockefellers are on their sixth generation of wealth with over 150 people living off the trust, donating $50 million of interest last year? And the Vanderbilts don't have that happening at all anymore, even though they had more money than the U.S. Treasury. 
Well, I kind of combine the three factors of that in the book and demonstrate and illustrate it. So this is helpful even if you're starting out as a college student or you're an extraordinarily successful business owner because I'm extracting the principles. It's just the scale at which you apply them. I just think, it, you know, I'm really happy with the book. Just got a, a really nice review by Mark Ford, who's been in the financial world and talking about it impacting his legacy. So hopefully you, you grab that book and invest a little bit of time to read it. Look, take advantage of the stuff that some of our guests come on here and offer to you guys. This is such an awesome, awesome offer. I really, really appreciate you doing this, Garrett. And definitely go pick up a copy of that book. Give it a read. Reach out to Garrett. Tell him thanks. Tell him what's up. Tell him you heard about him here on the show. Garrett, thanks so much for coming on today, brother. Had a fantastic time chatting with you. Thanks so much, man. That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn.media forward slash FB. Remember, you're only one connection away. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.